0: My name comes from India, as uh, all the teachings that I teach, the practice that I've done for the last 17 years, all comes from India. Um, It's a name that was given to me by my guru about a decade ago. And the name is used in the sense of it's really beautiful. We all have a purpose that we're living in this life. And we want to attune and align with that purpose. Uh, That's what makes life fun. And so my name, when you say it, has to do with my purpose and what I'm doing in this lifetime. So uh, every time that you say my name, Yashoda Devi Ma, it's a reminder for me to be, it essentially means the unconditional mother love energy to be of our divine excellence and just basically to show up in the grace of life.
1: That was Yashoda Devi Ma, a vedic meditation teacher and founder of ydm meditation and this is her story on the pacing racing podcast Alright, what's happening everyone? Welcome back and welcome to the First Time Listeners. My name is Stephen Langenhausen. I am the host of Pacing and Racing, the podcast helping you reach optimal health and endurance through learning from the world's brightest health experts and the world's most talented endurance athletes. Now I'm excited to share with you that today is our 99th published interview and I could not be happier to do this episode than with my good friend Yashoda Devi Ma. Yashoda is one of the best Vedic meditation teachers that I've ever seen and after seeing her speak on the Sacred Science docuseries on topics like stress management, yoga and meditation, I realized I had to get around to share this with all the type A triathletes and health seekers listening to this podcast. And for me in my personal journey, it took me years to actually realize the daily and cumulative stress I put on myself and everyone around me. And I guess like many things, the first step is self-reflection and realizing it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy, but it can change and it doesn't have to be you. Now Yashoda joins us today with her kind spirits to guide you through self reflection to become aware of the stress you may carry with you and how to manage it and most importantly release it. And this is so integral as she just explains on how bad stress can be bad for our bodies. Not just on our minds and our external relationships, but it also affects our gut health, our immune system, and leads to many chronic illnesses and so much more. So whether you are brand new to the concept of meditation and yoga, or you are a yogi natural yourself, I recommend saving this episode for a time when you're able to fully concentrate and allow yourself to take in what Yashoda has to teach us because it can truly change the path to the rest of your life. So sit back, relax, and let's get into it. All right, Yashoda Devi Ma, thank you for coming on the show. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing fabulous. And thank you for having me on the show today.
1: Yeah, the pleasure is all mine here. And of course, uh, I mean, it must be really incredible to get back into a bit of a routine now. I mean, although I must say, I, I for one actually just took Pat leave. We were just saying this before we got on the air here. I was off work for a couple months at the peak of the pandemic with our newborn. And honestly, it's probably the first time since. I probably was a child where I just woke up and had a fresh start every day and actually enjoyed some family time with, you know, no schedule, no obligations. And it was actually quite refreshing. And I can consider that my silver lining through all this. So how has it kind of been for you?
0: Um, It's been really busy. (laughs)
1: It's
0: been really busy to, you know, what I teach mainly through meditation practice is how to be adaptable. And I think that's been the biggest highlight within myself and my community and those that I guide through the practice is to adapt and to adapt to what the need of the time is. And that's certainly what my experience was. You know, I have hundreds and hundreds of students and I have to keep them supported and feeling stable and feeling good in life and and giving them good resources or just good ideas and how to adapt where, you know, maybe their jobs have changed or maybe the need of the time has changed and how they show up to life and how um, they can use their time wisely. And so I would have to say That was the theme of my pandemic was (laughs) how to be a single mom and take care of my son with online schooling and be able to show up to my business, see what was happening with my actual space in town, how that was going to work out in the future, and then really just accommodating, you know, my main practice that I teach is in person, so I had to adapt very quickly to doing things online and in an absolutely different way. And I think probably your audience would enjoy having been an athlete. um, You have to change your performance and you have to show up in, in new ways. And I find that exciting when you're challenged and to see what your outcomes can become.
1: One hundred percent. No, you said that really well, too. And and yeah, it's definitely been some chaotic times. And now you do practice in person as well as you have a lot of students online as well. Right. So and now you said you your practice in your town was closed down for a little bit just due to social distancing. So that's kind of up and running now. Or what's the meditation looking like in person?
0: It is. Thankfully, it I was able to open in mid May and two very intimate groups, which is great. I personally enjoy that. So we have about a max of 10 people in the studio, and then the rest I can do online for those who have learned the practice. And it's it's also allowed me to create practices that are for very, very beginners, that, it, it, as we'll talk throughout this Possibly. There's a difference between doing, you know, breath work practices or maybe many little meditations that are guided as opposed to what I teach, which is what we call an initiation practice. When you come to a teacher and you're formally um, taught with deep instruction to have a self-sufficient practice and not have it be guided. So... Um, the, the studio is doing well, and I have to say Boulder, Colorado is a very mindful place. And so it's been, everything's stayed moderate and very peaceful, and so businesses can stay open. So it's been lovely.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. And I think a lot of athletes here are well familiar with Boulder, Colorado. It I just seems to be a mecca for triathletes as well. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think that's very...
0: yes. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of athletes because of the altitude training that you can do here and it's stunning to be able to run or ride bikes or do the do the training here
1: mm-hmm. no absolutely that's that's good and actually the, you touch a lot of good points there and I want to discuss all that and I guess before we dive into all that uh in detail one of the questions I think people might be asking I'm curious myself too what about like your name where's the origin from and can you explain that to us a little bit
0: Sure. My my name comes from India, as uh, all the teachings that I teach, the practice that I've done for the last 17 years, all comes from India. Um, it's a name that was given to me by my guru about a decade ago, and the name is used in the sense of it's really beautiful. We all have a purpose that we're living in this life, and we want to attune and align with that purpose. Uh, That's what makes life fun. And so my name, when you say it, has to do with my purpose and what I'm doing in this lifetime. So uh, every time that you say my name, Yashoda Devi Ma, it's a reminder for me to be, it essentially means the unconditional mother love energy, to be of our divine excellence and just basically to show up in the grace of life.
1: Wow, I love that. It's a, it's a nice constant reminder of uh, you know, everything that you believe in to stand in and and that's your passion and what you want to present yourself as to help people. I, I actually I really love that. That's really cool and that's a pretty is that fairly common practice with uh, meditation with gurus?
0: Yes. I mean, it can be, not everybody, you know, may need one um or want one and that's absolutely okay, but yeah. Those of us that are open to it, the, that's what the guru is there to do is to really guide you into your light and your light is your purpose and how you inspire people in the world. And your name can be a part of that journey.
1: Wow. That's really fantastic. That's That's awesome. And so among many things I do want to discuss with you today, I think probably the first spot to start with, I think, which could be resonating with a lot of people, whether it's through these COVID times, or just through these athletes or people searching for longevity and health, is you know the topic of stress and its impact on the body and, and some things we can do to alleviate it. I know you uh, are well versed in this area, so I'm happy to be talking about this. And I guess before we dive into that, actually, let's tell everyone about yourself. I guess where are you from, and at what point did meditation and yoga find its way into your life?
0: Oh, where am I from? Originally, I, I grew up in California. I was born in Northern California in a small town called Chico, but my family moved a lot. I went to 13 different schools. And so I lived in San Diego for a bit and in Oregon and kind of shoveled around the West Coast. And then later uh, in my adult years, I lived in Los Angeles. I lived in Flagstaff, Arizona, another high altitude mountain town, got used to that and then came to Boulder. Um and in that, I came to meditation and yoga when I was 19. First yoga, um, my, my journey was as a, I was a tomboy growing up. I had an older brother. So sports was pretty much my life growing up. I kind of followed him around and all of his buddies, they're about five years older than me. So um, I always wanted to be the tough girl in the group. And when I got into middle school and high school, sports was really my savings grace. It was what brought me through life. It's what got me to deal with my emotions or my anger or my frustration. It's what motivated me to do well in school and to move towards, um, college and university. And so weightlifting, my coach was my end-all be-all. I was a power lifter in high school. I broke records. Pretty much anything that he said was Like my rule book, basically, I lived by his ethics, his integrity. And luckily, they were all good ethics and (laughs) good integrity. And so sports really is what got me through life. And I saw sports as the microcosm of life. So I was a bit rough, I would say, and a bit extreme, um, not a bit like really extreme. And <laughs> <laughs> I think most athletes, we can be pretty extreme in life. And then oh, yeah. I started to experience extreme stress in my life. I mean, long story short, I was adopted and that really plagued me. Um, by the time I was 18, my birth mother, she hired a private investigator and she found me and we reunited. And in that Um, kind of set this trajectory of a new life for me. When we connected, I ended up leaving my university and moving to Los Angeles to live with her and to really get to know my genetic background. And as most of us who are athletes, we're a little bit obsessed with how our body works, how we can um, mainstream everything and have high performance. How do we think? How do we move? How do we how do we excel in everything? And that's really how my mind worked. Uh, psychology was my main love. I wanted to know how does the mind work, and I really wanted to go into sports psychology and work with people who were blocked mentally in performance. I remember Dan O'Brien. Being such an amazing athlete and watching him have issues with pole vaulting and wishing like one day, could I work with him or Shaquille O'Neal, who couldn't shoot a free throw for his if his life counted on it. Um, Hmm. That was probably him being too big for the ball itself. But um, in that, when I moved to Los Angeles and I I connected with my birth mother, she was very uh, new agey, which was not my thing. But she's the one who exposed me to asana, which was my first entry point. And I think for most athletes, asana is the way to begin because we're physical. And in the physical movement of vinyasa, I started to have these deep, expansive experiences in my mind. I had a foot injury, a stress fracture, um, and a... neuroma in my foot that was horrific, and I couldn't run, I couldn't do interval training, I couldn't do weights, and that was my savings. That saved me. It slowed me down. Uh, It got me to come to meditation, essentially. I, I healed it through asana first, and through the asana, it calmed me down enough to start sitting and find a teacher that could teach me properly.
1: Wow. That's, that's so incredible to hear that story. And it's amazing to see how our life trajectory can change based off the people we may surround ourselves with. And and we look up to, and I know you, you said that with your coach and then moving back with your mother and and things like that. And it's amazing how that all evolved and brings you to where you are today. And that's fantastic. And now you've taken this, what you've learned and essentially teach it to other people now and help them through their lives. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's my greatest passion.
1: No, that's, that's perfect. And you know what, I absolutely love and think that you're a perfect fit to be guiding people through these journeys, meditation, yoga. And actually, before we go into those practices, though, I do want to talk about stress. We'll loop back to that. Uh, Now, I first saw you being interviewed on this topic of stress on that docu-series called Sacred Science Proven. And Mm -hmm. first off, congratulations on that. That was fantastic. (laughs) I love that. And I've told, yeah, I've told the audience, I think before to if they want to check it out, definitely, I highly recommend that because it was very well done.
0: Yeah, they're amazing. It, it was really well done. A wealth of knowledge. And if you like those things, you can geek out watching it over and over again. <laughs>
1: For sure. Absolutely. No, I definitely did for sure. But uh, no, so I know we all know what stress is inherently. We've always heard of the good stress and the bad stress, uh, Mm -hmm. but we may not know actually just how much stress we actually have chronically. And of course, the damages it's doing to our health. So can you kind of educate us on this a little bit? Because I think everyone understands the basis of stress, but I don't think they really understand how it's affecting their bodies uh, long term.
0: Absolutely. I mean, stress is the number one killer. Um, it's the cause of 87 to 90% of all disease, uh, that happens within us. Uh, I think what I didn't understand, stand long ago is that within our mind, our mind has a connection to our body and it all sources from our thinking. So every thought that we have is connected to a body sensation. It's connected to chemistry within the body and it affects us, um, on a massive level in time, right? So um, stress is something that we can't get away from. Even if you're meditating, that you you can't run away from stress. It's still happening, but it's really how we manage stress itself. On average, um, a human being is thinking 50,000 to 100,000 thoughts per day. And within that volume of thinking, 87% of them are recycled. So that means every single day, we think the same exact thing that we thought the day before and the day before and the day before. Now, if we're thinking angry thoughts, then we're creating a chemistry within the body that is building up uh, chemistry Of anger. Uh, When we go into the stress uh, fight or flight through our nervous system, what happens is there is a bunch of hormones that are released into our body, and one of them being the main one, which is cortisol. And cortisol... If you study it, it does about a 100 different things that malfunctions our body. It uh, affects our brain severely and how we think. Um, So through time, as we accumulate in the beginning, what we call distress and distress is the red flags of stress before it builds up and creates dis-ease within the body or disease itself. And those red flags of distress are usually I have a headache I have a stomach ache. Um, I'm not able to digest my food very well. A lot of food allergies that seem to come up from, from the Ayurvedic perspective. If you can't digest everything, then there's a problem within the body. You should be able to digest anything. It doesn't matter what the quality is. So digestion is one of the first places that stress goes to. Um, People who have insomnia, that's stress. Um, These are all red flags of the body building up towards long-term disease, essentially. And we ignore them. We live in a society, in a Western society, that we're cultured to think that doing is where it's at and that we should push ourselves and we push ourselves beyond. There's so many people who will sit with headaches for more than hours at a time um, and that puts a lot of stress on the body. Uh, Same with digestion. Uh, All of these different things that start to accumulate in time and when the body gets trained, just like an athlete trains the themselves for cycling for running for any whatever skill set it is when we're training ourselves and life you're training your body to be stressed essentially because you're not breaking the symmetry of the ever repeating known. you're not not just managing your stress you're not dissolving the stress within your body a big one for me when I was in fitness was I thought that fitness was the remedy to stress and that's not the truth of the matter um It doesn't remove stress. It can alleviate you for the time that you're doing it. And of course, it creates health cardiovascularly and in the body, but it's not relieving you of stress that's being built up in time. Um, And that was a big eye opener for me uh, when I switched gears and went into yoga. We need things. either adaptogens that are going into our body and and increasing our adaptability and then we need practices such as asana breath work uh, meditation that's literally dissolving it on a somatic level within our body so that the stress completely it's not being managed it's actually decreasing from our body and what happens with a long-term yoga practice. And when I say yoga, that means meditation. That means breath work. It's all inclusive. Uh, What it does is it, it it changes our thinking. It decreases the stress thoughts. It decreases the anxiety within the body, uh, which then changes the chemistry within our body. Um, it actually increases uh, neurotransmitters that we produce every time we meditate. That shifts the stress body, and then it, it it's it changes our nervous system every time we go into these practices that bring rest into our body. It allows for us. Um, to reset our nervous system, so when we're constantly putting stress on the body, which is powerlifting or strength training or running, that still puts stress on the body. So we're not relieving ourselves; we're adding to it in a different way. And there's a breakdown in time, chemistry-wise, thinking-wise, um, and and on our vital organs and time. So stress, stress is a builder, and it has to be removed ironically, through deep rest.
1: Wow. No, that's fantastic. I I love that. And you said that earlier, it was cultured, right? It's something that's just been built up in our society. And I think that's so true. One thing I realized along my own journey is that I thought I was just one of those people growing up who thrived off stress. And I thought I did typically well with it. And I would do these all-nighters working. And I thought that was just who I was. And not knowing that the chronic adrenal fatigue would come back to how many years later with just like plummeted cortisol, uh, not too long ago. And like, it's just, it's fascinating to me that you don't realize just how stressed you are as you go through life, unless you actually, I guess the first step would be awareness, right? Just being aware that you're stressed and then how to cope with it.
0: Absolutely. You know, because we live in a culture that basically worships doing and accomplishing um it's hard to see beyond that that's our norm and i think that's one of the great gifts of what the pandemic has brought is this great pause um it's it's forced us to stop doing and to to relax to spend more time with our families to at least when i look in boulder the way it's functioning i'm sure all of the business owners even though you know money is decreased the lifestyle is better and they're closing at four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, Our lifestyle is actually becoming better by being forced to change the patterning of doing. So it, it does take huge awareness and it takes, you know, hopefully it doesn't get to the point where we're suffering. And a lot of times that's what it takes for us. For me, it was my foot injury and I literally would repeat, I'd be so, uh, unhappy with the fact that I would get on a treadmill regularly and I would run hour long and I would do interval training and I would do one minute off and one minute on and I would put on the the, the fast track I would be at twelve miles an hour just sprinting and then I would wow. recover in one minute and then I would go back. I'd do that for an hour. Um and in That's that crazy. I, it's totally crazy when I when I think about it I laugh. But now, you know, <laughs> back then I was so frustrated I couldn't do it and when I kept repeating out loud and this is what's, what brought me into awareness. Every day I would just get angry. I can't run and I would say that out loud and that would repeat over and over. I don't know how many weeks or even a month it took me before I got it. And I said it out loud one day I was driving in LA and I was like, "Ah, oh, I can't run." I can't run anymore. And when I heard myself, I went, oh my gosh, I can't run anymore. I can't run from life anymore. I I, I got the metaphor and it made me stop.
1: Wow. That's incredible. Now, I think a good portion of the listeners, if not all of them, will have some sort of adrenal fatigue built up mm-hmm. over the years from just the mix of training stress for one thing but also life and work stressors and so forth so mm-hmm. could you give us some clarity on how you think someone should first self-reflect and recognize where their stress lies and once they do this what could some of the next steps look, look like like what would you recommend to some people I
0: uh, I mean Jeez, that first step, I think life right now is just supporting slowing down, and that's the great good fortune of what's happening Um I think for those of us who have been active and we're very body dominant, body conscious dominant, um, it's a good time to start researching adaptogens. Adaptogens are a nice way of beginning because it's something that you include to your diet, your nutrition, and as the body starts to calm through that, whether it's uh, it's an adaptogen that's for the adrenals itself Um, or there's a variety of them that are out there, you can start with that and you'll see relief that comes through that. And then really taking a mindful practice. If this is a direction that you want to start moving in slowly, that you allow for yourself. I think in the morning time is the best time to give yourself a mental pause in the morning before you go straight into action. And it doesn't have to be long. It can be something where you get up in the morning, you give yourself, a little extra 10 minutes into your routine. Um, and you know, you freshen up and you go and you find a comfortable seat and it can be on the couch. It can be comfortable anywhere. And you just close your eyes, you close your eyes. And in the beginning, you can start with just breath itself and allowing for your, your, yourself to observe. Um, A a big part, and I'm talking about meditation now, um, a big part of meditation is allowing for yourself to become the observer. You're witnessing. You're the ultimate witnesser of everything. So it doesn't necessarily mean when you sit down that you should have a totally quiet mind. Um, you're going to have lots of thoughts because that's the activity that's happening. And as you sit longer, the activity will start to go down into a more subtle state, but in that we can start to witness, we start to witness. And in the beginning, it's just your stress thoughts. So when you're seeing what's happening, uh, there's no frustration. It's just the body's resting and you're starting to release some stress. And in that, some clarity will start to come through. If you allow for yourself to relax, um, at least five or 10 minutes every morning before you go into action. When you come out of that, it's nice to start to write down your intentions of, um, if we're talking about awareness, how can you slow down in your life that's charming to you? Um, Whether it be a nature walk outside. So for me in the beginning, when I was starting to calm my athletic extreme nature down, it was to approach uh things not from a performance perspective like i'm not getting anything out of this and so when i really sat with that when i went to yoga it wasn't to achieve um the body it wasn't a, it, i wasn't achieving something from it i was going to allow for myself to be not judgmental of anyone in the room or judgmental of the teacher that they don't have the biomechanics correctly or any of those types of things. Um, So just finding, you know, is it sitting down and listening to a nice piece of music? Is it taking a nature walk? Is it just simply going outside and sitting on the earth and letting yourself connect uh, for five minutes uh, and allow for yourself to, Discover in that um, what's revealed to you. That's the beauty of being able to do slowing down. It gives you the answers that you're seeking, and there lies the beauty of what we all desire.
1: Ah, oh, that's so fantastic! I think that would go a long way to getting people kickstarted into, you know, finding that aw- awareness and taking those small steps to just cleanse your mindset and change your your persona and and just overall have that meditation incorporated into your life over time. And one of the things you did mention was the adaptogens. And I know you actually spoke about quite a few of them in a docu-series that I just spoke about earlier. Um, I want to kind of point out some of those great ones like ashwagandha or Mm -hmm. things like adrenal cortex supplements or the the reishi mushroom coffees and just Mm -hmm. little things like that. So those are all kind of recommended ones that you would suggest.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you, you need to know your body because some people won't blend with the ashwagandha. So just do your research as you're starting to go through them. Um, there's a company here in Denver called Go Deep that I quite like. There's Moon Juice that has great adaptogens. I actually use their Super U, um, I love. Uh, and there's a mixture of all of those adaptogens in them. Um, but do your research. Do your research to see what meshes with your body, or if you're taking medications that they that they align with your body. Um, but any of them that you choose, the Rishi, uh, I think that one's a universally good one. I haven't heard anyone have issues with that one. But just allowing for your body to increase adaptability. And that's what all these practices are about from from asana to even if you did a a three minute breath work every day, you would really see a huge difference. Uh, calming, soothing breath works that um, allow for your body to begin to adapt and to have more of this observer state rather than be in reaction where our nervous system is in the fight or flight. So that the adaptogens will help the nervous system go into that rest and digest or what we like to say is stay and play. Um, and that's the place that we want to be in and we want to grow in. Essentially, life itself develops from a highly adaptable nervous system.
1: Honestly, I think that's incredible. So, we've covered a lot there. And so uh, basically we've pointed out some adaptogens that people can sort of test out and try and see what works best for them. And of course we've talked about stress and becoming aware of it and you know, those basic steps of uh, how can we calm or start our mornings off right and things like that. And I wanted to go back to meditation and I want to ensure that we encompass everyone listening in today Uh, for someone who's completely new to meditation. Can you sort of name a couple Uh, different styles meditation, because there's a lot of different ones too, and kind of explain how they differ from one another. And, and I guess, how would one get started on their own journey today through meditation? What are some options out there? There's some online stuff, or do you recommend um, in person stuff? Or what's your your thoughts on all this?
0: Yes, I have lots of thoughts. Um, (laughs) So we have a lot of different styles of meditation. And so if you can think about it in the same way, as we have lots of different Types of workouts, right? We enter into a gym and there's, you know, an endurance type of workout. There's a strength training type of workout. There's power lifting. There's uh, circuit training. There's all kinds of different ways of approaching fitness. It's the same with meditation, right? So we can't say that all meditation is the same. Uh, It's you'll enter in into different ways. There's concentration and focus techniques. There's visualization meditations, uh, guided meditations. Um, there's breath meditations. There are mantra meditations. What I teach is mantra, but it's also what's called a self transcending, uh, meditation. And we use mantra to move beyond thought altogether. And so usually the entry point of meditation for most people these days, and this didn't, this didn't exist when I started meditating two decades ago, there weren't, there wasn't applications. There weren't apps. And so there's Headspace that I know people have tried, and that's a nice beginner uh, way of approaching. There's Insight, timer that's a free app um, that you can begin with uh, they have a variety of different meditations that you can try so you could go through and see if um, there's a visualization that you like or if it's just music and sound bowls that you like to begin with so you can you can try a variety and, and go from that point there's uh, Deepak Chopra does a 21 day meditation and I know that a lot of people or students that I've had that have come to me later when they're ready um, have started off with that 21 day meditation and found benefits in that. It's I think as an athlete we like structure and we like discipline. and that's one of the great good fortunes of being an athlete. We have a lot of willpower. We have a lot of staying power. And those things develop a good meditator down the road because you give us something that has structure and we'll show up to it. And if it gives us results, then we'll definitely keep showing up to it. So you know, if that's something that you desire, then those 21-day meditations are a nice way to begin and really get your toes into the water and feeling confident and good. And then I recommend that you go to an expert just the same as you would go into a gym and you would hire a trainer that's specific to your needs. It's the same with meditation. You need to hire a meditation teacher or to go to a course. um, And I recommend a course if you can in person to somebody who's been meditating for long term because we're working with the mind. So it's like you would hire a trainer who has competed. You would hire a trainer who has transformed their own body, where they've learned what works and what doesn't work. So it's the same as somebody who's teaching meditation. You want somebody who's overcome insomnia. You want somebody who's overcome depression and suicidal thinking. You want somebody who has overcome whatever their baseline stress has been. And that's what I look for or what I would recommend in a qualified teacher, not somebody who maybe just started you know, after a week in certification, because it's the mind. And our our thinking is the most paramount thing that we have as a human being. So the word human, when we break that down, hue means light. And man comes from the root Sanskrit word manas, and manas means mind. So when we say we're a man, we're saying we're a mind. And what kind of mind are we as human, like our highest potential? We're a light mind, and a light mind is a clear mind. And so you want somebody who has established who has a clear mind, who isn't behind closed doors, stressed out, or taking antidepressants, Uh, no judgment. But usually if you're a meditation teacher, you will have overcome those things in time. And so there's a lot of good things. I, I have guided meditations on my website that that you can do. I teach breath work that then goes into uh, mantra meditation. Mantra meditation is um, a beautiful way to allow the mind to absorb and create. It's like we're energy. So just like the body, we need to strengthen our muscles. We need to strengthen our, our energy and our frequency. And so mantras play a huge part in that. And so it's like the strength training of the mind itself. Um, I never really got into mindful meditation, but mindful meditation really was adapted um, in the, I believe, the late 1960s into the 1970s. And it was adapted from Western psychologists who either practiced or observed some of the great masters that came from India. like, uh, Swami, uh, Vishananda, uh, Yogananda, Maharishi, Mahesh Yogi, Yogi Banjan, all these great masters came over into the West in the early 1900s or late 1800s and brought these practices that really revolutionized the Western mind. And so then these psychologists observed that and they adapted Western psychology into techniques that are mindful. So mindful is a bit more controlled. Um, and it's great for beginner, but just like, uh, just like fitness, you'll begin and then you'll grow out of that and you'll want to dive deeper into something something more. You'll want to dive into the deep end of the pool. So that's where I recommend self-transcending techniques because that will bring you beyond thought. It will teach you how to go beyond thought. And when you experience the depth of going beyond thought regularly, and it's not hard, it's really easy when you're taught properly, that's where the body accumulates three to five times more deep rest than it would in sleep itself. And not only that one can train themselves to move beyond thinking in their sleep state. Because most people, scientists have um, studied that when we sleep at night, on average, a human being never stops thinking. And that causes problem with fatigue. If we're thinking the entire night while we're lying down on some level, that means we're not reaching the deep REM states. So when we go into a self-transcending technique and we're taught properly and we're meditating uh, every day, daily, we train our minds to move into that place really quickly. Uh, so that's the fun when you're, when you're somebody who understands the body and you've done the training and we turn around, we start training the mind sky's the limit of the things that we can do. And the potential lies within the state of the mind. So if we're talking about sports performance, it all has to do with your thinking. Um, it has to do with that alone. When you can have the visual of, of the, the, You know, crossing the line, if you have the visual of what it is that you're creating, if you have a powerful mind, then you can accomplish anything. I mean, if you read Kobe Bryant's books that he wrote, he had a very powerful mind. His coach, uh, um, Phil Jackson, was incredible. He had them doing Zen techniques the entire time. So if you study Phil Jackson, he went from the Chicago Bulls and winning... You know, uh, winning nonstop championships and then moving over to the Lakers and doing the same exact thing there. And it's because he had a structure of Zen. He created the Zen mind within these athletes. And you could see that in Kobe Bryant. He had an exceptional work ethic, he had an exceptional mind. Whatever he created excelled. Massively. It didn't matter if he was writing, you know, a short film or he was performing on the basketball court. That had to do with a very clear mind, knowing what he wanted, executing and accomplishing.
1: Awesome. That's so incredible to hear that. And I love how you can continuously translate all this to, you know, uh, athleticism because that really makes people understand this a lot more because from someone on the outside, Looking in, they might tend to think that meditation either is all the same thing, or it's just it's such a complex environment because there's so many different types. And how do you know which one to do? And when you translate that into understanding it through sport, like there's different types of weight training and how each have a little different twist to it and different component and benefit to them. I think that goes a long way, and that's really cool. And one of the things I, I learned from you by watching that docu series was the consistency of anything you do, especially with meditation, but the consistency will will change the neural pathways, which is a big thing. And I think for a lot of beginners, I think that's a big thing to think about too. And why, as you mentioned, how going to an expert can really probably bump through this is when someone sits down and tries to meditate for the first time, their mind might wander all the time, or they just might not get it at first because they haven't developed those neural pathways. So I think that's something to really emphasize the idea of consistency and then finding which one works best for you. And I love that idea of the mantra style meditation.
0: Yeah. I mean, what I really, you know, I've done many, many different styles. I mean, outside of the mindful, um, in, in India and whatnot. And the style that I teach is the most effortless and deeply restful. And the, the funny part about it's just, we, we're not educated properly in what meditation is, Part of meditation is thoughts. Part of meditation is to have thought-filled meditations because those thought-filled meditations are the stress-relieving meditations. We have an inward stroke of meditation and we have an outward stroke of meditation. The inward stroke is what everybody seems to want to talk about, which is the deep part, the expansive part of the mind, uh, which is lovely. But the other part is we have this biology, we have this body, we have this physiology and we need to take care of it. Our lifespan is 120 years, right? If we live that long and in that we need to have sustainability. And the only way we can have sustainability is by removing stress from the mind body. So when we go into these deep, restful states from meditating and pausing, pausing is the cure to to distressing, to relieving our body of distress itself. And that doesn't mean like I just take a nap or I scroll through my phone or I read a book. That's not the resting that we're talking about. We're talking about accessing these deep levels and they can happen within the meditation. And when that happens, when the mind goes beyond thought itself, that's when all the vital organs, because they're paused, what happens in meditation, particularly in the style that I teach, because it's a deeper than mindful meditation and it's deeper than a controlled focus meditation or it's deeper than a visual meditation. When we go down to these levels, the vital organs literally shut down to their least excited state. So that means that our heart rate, it goes down to hardly beating the least amount of beats in a healthy fashion. So your heart gets to rest during meditation. It's not overworking, our metabolic rate, it goes down, our metabolism, it goes down, all vital organs are sitting there and they're resting and they're working on a level of replenishing, rejuvenating and restoring on another level. When we're meditating, we're creating neurotransmitters within our body. And when I talk about that, that means dopamine, that means endorphins, that means um, GABA, uh, Anandamayi, uh, all of these Different uh, neurotransmitters that help increase happiness, that help increase vitality and energy, that help with sleep, that help with happiness. Um, we're creating neuroplasty within the brain. So this neuroplasticity is starting to happen. We're creating these new neural pathways, which creates new behavior. So when we have blocks or we've conditioned ourselves in life to to act the same way or have the same emotional patterning or mental patterning, uh, it's recreated within meditation. It activates the gray matter within our brain. It, it literally makes us more intelligent. It, it activates our um, creative intelligence. So when we come out of meditation, even when you're sitting in thought filled meditation and you feel body sensations, uh, this is a big thing when you're an athlete. You can rid yourself of, of, of injuries that you've had through the meditation. It will heal things within the body. Um, and when we come out, we're more, we're balanced. We're coming out, a little bit better. We're coming out with a little less stress thought. We're coming out with more balanced chemistry. We're coming out with an activated brain and a developed meditative brain. So a lot of people say, "I don't, I don't have the patience," or I get impatient within meditation. Well, that's. Part of it is you're you're developing the midbrain and the midbrain is what helps you have patience. So it's the same thing as training. It's like you can't go into the gym and expect a nice bicep, you know, after your first session. It takes time to sculpt your muscles and strengthen it's the science of how you condition your muscles to create the performance that you desire and it's the same way with meditation it takes time to create the meditative brain but if you show up to it daily uh, it no matter what you will end up with a meditator's brain, more patience, better memory, better concentration. Those who have ADD can overcome ADD through the meditation itself. Um, If you have post-traumatic syndrome, right, it will help alleviate you from that. It activates your frontal lobe. I I have a student who she used to ride horses and compete. She had a really severe accident with her neck. And through the last year and a half, she's really healed that huge problem within her neck. And she's now back on a horse and she's able to work through because that post-traumatic experience that she had has been removed from her brain. And it's really amazing. She's in her sixties and she's competing and she's not afraid anymore. She's able to overcome because the practice has led her to that point point. So it's pretty incredible. Um, the, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of what can happen within meditation, regular meditation.
1: Exactly, that's the the key: regular consistency. I think it's absolutely incredible. Uh, You've definitely. I love that you really pointed out. I think a lot of listeners here they love to hear the in-depth explanations, and you really brought that. And I am super happy with that because I think if anyone questioned meditation before, I definitely don't think they would now after (laughs) hearing that. And so I I absolutely love that. There's so many more things I'd love to talk about, but of course we only have so much time here. But one of the one of the remainder of the questions I'd, I'd love to ask you about, just because it goes in line with everything we've spoken on so far. now I know you teach the, the mantra meditation and we're just going to scratch the surface on this because I know it's super in depth, but mm-hmm. can you sort of explain if that resonates with someone and they want to uh, get an idea of what that, what that's like, like how often are you meditating date? Like, is it daily and how long and sort of what style of meditation would this look like? Does someone have to find a, a mantra that resonates with them or can you kind of explain those steps if, if that strikes someone?
0: Sure. So what I teach is what we call Vedic meditation. Um, It's mantra-based, and it's usually done in person, but because of the pandemic, some of us are now doing online during this time. Um, And so I would seek you to do your research and look and see if there are any Vedic meditation teachers in your area first to be able to go to Um, otherwise, like I said, I am starting to do that and you can seek me online. Um, it's a practice that you begin with. So the beginner, this is why we call it intro to Vedic meditation. You begin with 20 minutes twice a day. Um, and some people might say, oh man, I've got too many things to do. And I always like to remind them there's 1,440 minutes in one day and you're going to take 40 of them and you're going to do the practice and break it up into two. And it's a strategy of deep resting once in the morning. Right after you wake up to clear your mind, increase your adaptation energy, and then go out into life. And as you decrease your adaptation energy, then you insert your PM meditation anytime it strikes noon, and then you've got midnight. So somewhere the ideal would be between, you know, after you've digested lunch and before dinner. And you insert that in and you fill your cup up with adaptation energy and you clear your mind. And so it's 20 minutes twice a day, and that consistency. revolutionizes people's lives. And that means you can miss like 30 or 40 in a year and still have amazing results. You're going to be sleeping, your insomnia will go away. And I've had people who have insomnia their whole entire life. Those people, it might've taken them a year to a year and a half of regular practice, and they sleep like a baby, Uh, all medications gone, all of these things. And so 20 minutes, twice a day, um, very simple uh, to come to. Um, if if that seems like too much, then I do recommend start with Headspace. I've had quite a few um, uh, people that have started with Headspace where they go in and just start with a 10-minute practice. I'm not quite sure how that works if you set the timer, but don't overachieve with meditation. It's not about doing more. Everything with meditation is about we do less and we accomplish more. We do nothing and we accomplish everything. And the nothing comes from the pause. Not like I'm literally doing nothing in life. I show up, I pause. And in that nothingness that I experience, then I can accomplish far more than I ever could before. And so a little bit goes a long way and consistency. So even if you started with 10 minutes each day, do that start with 10 minutes and start to see what what, what shifts and what what changes um, but you know Vedic meditation isn't something that you have to grow into um, you, you don't need to have done anything you don't need to know anything you just come and we're such expert teachers we've been we've spent years meditating hours and hours and hours and hours and hours we've been trained very expertly and we'll take you in and in the first session that you learn you'll have a wonderful meditation and you'll have the the understanding of what's happening in meditation and that's paramount you need to know you need to know about thoughts and you need to know how to be with them and you need to know it's okay and you need to know how to sit comfortably and and not resist and all of these things and that you can't really do meditation wrong
1: Honestly, I I love that so much that that's incredible. I I hope everyone can uh, jump on this and give this a shot. I think it'll benefit everyone so much. And honestly, you know what, I can't thank you enough for sharing all this, because I know we've got a really tuned in set of listeners here who take on just so much in their everyday lives. And I think just the sports really attract a lot of perfectionists out there or overachievers, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned. So uh, this chat today, I think has been super, super helpful in realizing that we need to first off, get on top of our stress and be aware of it. And then you've given us incredible ways that we can do this is essentially at low cost and not a lot of time when you think about how many uh, hours these endurance athletes put into their daily routine so uh, i think right. these are great little steps and i think this will go a long way and i think this can spark some some new meaning and purpose for a lot of people so it, i guess if they want to learn more about your practice in particular uh, and what you do and potentially meditate with you uh, whereabouts are you on social media and where can they go to learn more about your practice
0: Uh, you can go on social media. I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook and you can look up, uh, either Yashoda Devima, which you'll have the spelling on your podcast, or you can go to ydmmeditation.com and All of the information is there. I've got audio meditations that you can buy for $5. You can download. You can do those to start off with. Um, I've got some things on my Instagram, which is also YDM meditation, um, and some things for free. So you can just get a taste and, and see what that feels like. A lot of my practices are longer than the Vedic meditation practices that are free comes from a different style that um, that I teach that comes from India, too. Um, But if you're an extreme athlete, you'll probably love doing them anyway. (laughs) So you'll (laughs) talk about that time. But but the Vedic meditation is even easier than anything that you'll do that I offer for free. So just know that um, when you invest into that with your time and research
1: that's fantastic. And you know, I can uh, vouch for, I bought one of the $5 audio clips. Uh, It was well worth it. I actually did it while I was cutting the lawn. I was listening to it, which the, I mean, the application in that situation wasn't ideal, but I definitely, it was probably the most relaxed I've been cutting the lawn. So I can thank you for that. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, there you go. No, awesome. Again, thank you so much. It's uh, of course been inspiring and informative to chat with you today. So uh, I mean, as always stay safe and stay healthy and all the best. Appreciate that.
0: You too. And thank you so much. And thank you to your audience and everyone be safe and be well.
1: Awesome. Take care. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap with Yashoda Devi Ma. Thanks so much for listening everyone. And if you enjoyed this episode, among others, and please just take that one minute to open up your Apple Podcast app on your iPhone, search Pacing Racing, and click subscribe, and then scroll down to the bottom and leave us a quick written review. It takes less than a minute to do, but it goes a long way in helping me out. So to all who do that, thanks so much. That's highly appreciated. And other than that, happy training. And as always, if you want to train with me on Zwift, then drop me a follow by searching Stephen Langenhausen. Anyway, take care. Chat soon. Cheers.